All right, let's uh, take God's Word this morning and turn, if you would, with me to the book of Acts in chapter 15. Acts in chapter 15, as you turn there at the close of the first missionary, the first missionary journey uh, took place in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Um, and so under the authority of the church of Antioch, we find that uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out, they came back. And now we come to chapter 15 of Acts, and the direction of Paul and Barnabas changes. So they abode there in Antioch for some time, but then something happens in Antioch with regards to the church in Jerusalem. And so while Acts 13 and 14, we find the gospel being propagated in some unreached cities of both the island of Cyprus and then Asia Minor, in Acts 15 we find the gospel being defended in the city where it was first preached. That's the city of Jerusalem. So we're going to begin reading in verse um, 1 of Acts chapter 15. Let me give you just a quick summary. Paul and Barnabas, who were in the church of Antioch, who had taught the people in Antioch for some time, before they had gone on the missionary journey, came back. And during this time, there were some men, certain men from Judea, who had come from Judea all the way northward to Antioch of Syria and who taught the people there who were Gentiles and who were saved that they needed to be circumcised and that they needed to observe the law of Moses. The Bible is going to mention here that there is great dissension and disputation in the church about this idea. Should the believers in Antioch be circumcised, and should they keep the law of Moses? And so Paul and Barnabas, with other men from the church, are going to go down to Jerusalem to confront this doctrine that was being taught in the church of Antioch. And apparently the men that came to Antioch were from Judea and Jerusalem. And so the question is, did the church in Jerusalem send these men to tell the believers in Antioch that they needed to observe the law of Moses, and that they need to be circumcised. And so the end of the debate is going to be, well, they don't need to do that. And James, who is the pastor in Jerusalem, is going to come to the conclusion, he's going to send one of the men, is Silas, up, Silvanus, to go to Antioch and to tell the believers in Antioch that they didn't need to be circumcised and to observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now notice with me Acts 15, verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That's a pretty strong position, isn't it? Except you do this, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. 
And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by mouth, by my by mouth, excuse me, by my mouth, there we go, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agreed the words of the prophets, as it is written, For this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all of these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions and of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time, hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. I'd like to bring your attention to verse 2. The Bible says there was no small dissension and disputation. The word dissension means to stand against, to, to, to have an uprising against, or it means really the idea of to, to be in a controversy. And then the word disputation means questioning, reasoning, or debating. So early on here, as we think about uh, the book of Acts, we read about this debate, this disputation, this uprising, this controversy in the church, this debate in the church. And it is interesting for me to think about that this debate in the church... I guess you could say in the churches because it concerned the church at Antioch and the church of Jerusalem and so among the churches. This same debate has persisted throughout the churches to this day. This same debate. Um, in verse 1 we read of certain men. It seems that when they go down to Jerusalem in verse 5 you read that there was certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Believe what? Probably believed in Jesus Christ. But the Pharisees, we know, were strict adherers to the law of Moses, but also to the traditions of men. Uh, and yet they believe, and so they're part of the church of Jerusalem. And so there's this debate raging, and this debate is really centered on verse 1. You, you find it plainly stated in verse 1. What is this debate about? This is what the men from Judea taught the brethren in Antioch. Except ye be circumcised... After the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. 
So the debate is about this. Salvation. By grace or by works? Or salvation by grace or by grace and works? Or salvation by grace or by grace but a continuation in works? Whatever version, that has been the great debate throughout the history of churches. So I'd like to preach this morning on this, the most contentious religious debate. The most contentious religious debate. What we find here is a debate that began in the churches of, Jeru- in the, the churches of Jerusalem and Antioch. This same debate has persisted until this very day. And Paul and Barnabas could not let this teaching continue. And so that's why they go to Jerusalem. They determined to go to Jerusalem in order to settle this debate. And it is interesting to me to think that here we are 2,000 years later, after the debate was settled then, that we are still debating this. Now, I know we are not debating it in this church. But I know it's the religious debate of the day. Salvation. By grace through faith. Or by works. Or a combination of grace and works. Or a continuation of, uh, in works after grace. And so I'd like to spend some time here to look at this passage and really focus in on, on what is going on. Moving our way through this passage and look at the arguments that are presented here. And uh, the conclusion that they come to. Now we know here that as we come to Acts chapter 15, before then... The concern has been about propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember, do you remember the the message of Paul back in Acts 13, verse 38? If you turn your page over, one page, Acts 13, 38. This is what Paul preached. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, he's preaching on Jesus Christ, unto you, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him... All that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. And so Paul has been preaching this same message everywhere he's traveled. We're preaching unto you Jesus Christ by whom you can receive the forgiveness of sins, by whom you could be justified from all things without the law of Moses. So that's been pretty clear. And so Paul now, he's back in Antioch in Acts chapter 15, and he hears that these people have been teaching. Now, whether this teaching began to happen while Paul was away or after he was there, we don't really know. But the point is, he's there and he's hearing these men who have either taught or he's heard them that they have been teaching this. And so he has to confront them because now, notice the message that they've been propagating in the church of Antioch is different than the church he's been preaching what was taught except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses ye cannot be saved now the believers in Antioch notice were that they were believers they had already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ but as we saw early on in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 when the church was formed it was made up of Gentiles those who were not ethnic Jews 
but Gentiles. And so the dynamic of the church of Antioch is different from the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem is mainly made up of those who were born as Jews, who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And then the gospel goes out from there. But when you read about the church of Antioch, they were comprised mainly of those who were Gentiles, who were not born ethnic Jews, but who had also believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here you have those two churches, and apparently the believers or some of the men in Judea came up to Antioch to teach this, that the people in Antioch needed to be circumcised. They needed to observe the law of Moses. Now Paul has already made that clear in his message, but we also know throughout the New Testament this is made uh, 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 very clear. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul writes here about his desire for those who were uh, uh, born as Jews. Notice in Romans 10, notice verse 1, we'll read verse 1 through 4. So notice Romans 10, verse 1 through 4. What was the trouble... Uh, with, uh, with Israel or the Jews. Notice Romans 10 verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so here Paul had explained it very clearly. The reason why the Jews have not, uh, are not saved is because they've gone about to establish their own righteousness. As a result, they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And so therefore, uh, they are ignorant of God's righteousness but Christ, whom we preach, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now back in Acts chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 15, the people came in and says, Well, you must be circumcised, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses. Ye cannot be saved. So here's what they come in. They came in and they taught this. Well, I know you believe in Jesus Christ, but now this is what you need to do. You all need to be circumcised. You all need to obey the law of Moses. And so here are some rules that we have for you that you need to do and accept you do these things, these rules, you cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. To a group of people who had already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're part of the church. Now, this prompts a debate. Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute. Well, no kidding. I mean, Paul has been preaching the opposite of this. He just taught the people when he went and traveled to the synagogues. He says, you can be justified without the law of Moses. And now the people says, well, in order for you to be justified, you have to keep the law of Moses. That is contrary to what Paul has been preaching. So there is dis dissension, disputation with them. And so Paul and Barnabas and other of them go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And so here is going to be the debate in the church, in the churches. Salvation, is it necessary for people who have believed in Jesus Christ to be circumcised and to observe the law of Moses? And the truth is, when you say observe the law of Moses, that means that you have to observe it in every point. All of it. 
Okay? So verse 3, And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they, and they caused great joy uh, unto all the brethren. It's interesting here, we haven't read about Phoenix yet, but apparently there were believers in Phoenix. Now, if you look at the map, there was Antioch of Syria. If you go southward, there was Phoenix, right north of Galilee there. Then below that, you have Samaria and then Judea. And so all along the way, there's brethren. And Paul and Barnabas, they don't waste time. As they journey down to Jerusalem, they tell people, hey, look, Gentiles are being saved. And they're, they're brought into the church, and, and this is wonderful. And so people are rejoicing about that. Um, and verse 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and to declare the things that God had done with them. And so it's interesting. I think this is a good lesson because here Paul and Barnabas, they don't show up in the church in Jerusalem and say, what did, what did you all do? Who did you send? He says, hey, let me tell you what great things God has done. Isn't that interesting? Now, we know why they're coming. They're coming to settle the question. But he doesn't begin with a question. He begins with, hey, let's rejoice in the Lord. That's a good observation that we can think about ourselves. Even when, when we might be critical about something or maybe have a debate about something, it's always good to cloak all of those things and rejoice in the Lord. Okay? And so that's what Paul and Barnabas do. Now, verse 5, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees. Now, when they declare what God had done, that meant, according to what we read in verse 3, God were saving Gentiles. And so now the stirring begins in the church when Paul's declaring to the church of Jerusalem, hey, Gentiles are being saved. Now people who were of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, stood up and basically uh, in the middle of Paul rejoicing in what God was doing, uh, these guys were like a wet blanket. Let's pour a bucket of water on this fire that's burning. That, that's how they were. And instead of rejoicing in the work of God. And this is what they say. It is needful to circumcise them. You have to do this. And to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now understand, when the, 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 the sect of the Pharisees was there, those that believed in Jesus Christ, but no doubt still in some way identified themselves as, as Pharisees, bring forth this debate, and they said they have to be commanded to keep the law of Moses. That means they have to keep all of the law of Moses not just the circumcision. Now here they don't mention just the circumcision. They mention the law of Moses. That's all of it. And if you can boil down, that's the first five books of the Bible. Observe all of it. Now in verse 1, if you don't do that, you cannot be saved. Now, here is where the debate begins. So the question is, is, is put forth before Barnabas and the church at Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul, uh, with these uh, Pharisees. So, verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. So here's a debate. They all assemble together. They're all going to debate. They're all going to talk about this. And notice what's going to happen in verse 7. Peter is going to get up first. At, notice. And when there had been much disputing. So, the scene here, just imagine a group gathered like this. And just there's back and forth. Now, back and forth about what? Well, they need to keep the law of Moses. They need to be circumcised. They need to keep the law of Moses. No, no, they don't need to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Well, why do we have the Old Testament then if we're not supposed to keep the law of Moses? And, and so it's going back and forth, and they're arguing back and forth. And then Peter is going to rise up, and he's going to say something. And so the Bible here 
pulls out this scene, doesn't mention all the disputation, but we can imagine what the subject is about. And so Peter is going to say this, notice, and this is most instructive because of what he said. He said to them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, Paul is referring, uh, Peter is referring back, you remember when he went to uh, the house of the Gentiles and they got saved and the Spirit of God came down and they spake with tongues? And you remember there was report uh, that went back to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem and said, hey, uh, Peter was eating and sitting with Gentiles and he's not supposed to do that as a Jew. And so you remember, Peter went to Jerusalem and explained to them what God had done. And so here Peter brings that back up and he says, well, we know what God has already done among the Gentiles. I've already testified to that a while ago. That they should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so they have. Notice verse 8. And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And so he said, look, I preached the gospel, they believed. But that's not all that happened. God also testified that he was approving of the Gentiles because his Holy Ghost came down upon them just like he came down on us at the first in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? Now this is the important part here, verse 10 which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Well, there it is. And by the way, that settles the debate. Salvation, is it by by grace through faith, or is it by works, or is it a combination of both? And so you think about salvation, if if you're not circumcised, you cannot be saved. And so Peter says, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. When we think about the yoke of bondage, why would we as Jews who are familiar with the law of Moses and the observation of the law of Moses, why would we go up to Antioch and tell these people who are Gentiles who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that now they need to be circumcised and that they need to observe the law of Moses in every point when we know, if you study just the Old Testament, that our fathers were not able to keep the law, neither were we. Well, that settles it. So, so he basically says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You expect the Gentiles to do something that you know you cannot do yourself? Look, that settles the debate right there. Now, we'll keep going here, but that settles the debate. The truth is, those who teach that you have to do good works in order to be saved don't understand that, that, that doing good works does not eradicate sin. And furthermore, that they cannot do good works 100% of the time without fault until the day they die. It is impossible. The burden is too great. But therein lies the purpose of the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And so that all the world can become guilty before God. And so here he says, wait a minute. Our fathers could not bear the burden of the law. Neither can we. Now you remember when the law was given, Exodus chapter 20, when the law of Moses was given on Mount Sinai, the day before, Exodus 19. uh, Remember they said to Moses, whatever thou sayest, we will do. They committed. They said, we're going to do all that God says. And so then the law was given. 
And then when the law was given to the children of Israel, they saw the blackness and the darkness of the tempest. They couldn't touch the mountain. And when uh, Moses relayed to them the law, they went like this. Why? He says, we cannot do it. Now understand, if we're going to follow the narrative of the Bible, when it, when it comes to the law of Moses and the observation of the law of Moses, the first recipients of the law said, we cannot do it. We can't keep all the law. It's too great for us and it's too high a standard. God is too holy and we cannot attain holiness by observing the law. We cannot. That burden was too great and so he says, don't put a yoke on the Gentiles that our fathers and we ourselves have not been able to bear. Notice verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they... And so here it is, he says, look, for us as Jews, now, before we came to know Jesus Christ, we, we tried to live by the law, we were circumcised, we, we, we lived by the law of Moses, but now we believed in Jesus Christ. And so the way we got saved was by God's grace, not by all the things we did before we came to Christ. And so why would we require them then to do all the things we did before we came to Christ? It's almost like the Jew feels a, a guilt, say, well, we did all these things before we came to Christ. Why can't you do those things too? And the point was, none of those things that you did before you came to Christ brought grace in your life. Now they pointed you to Christ, but they couldn't impart grace. Now, verse 12 then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now, it is not recorded for us what Paul and Barnabas said. But I do think we have an insight into what they said. Go Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. So Paul here is writing to the churches of Galatia. In chapter 1, he, he is concerned for them because they are removed from the gospel. That's, that's what he says. Uh, we could read all of uh, chapter 1. Notice verse 6, Galatians 1 verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. When the men of Judea came to Antioch and said, Except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. That is a perversion of the gospel of Christ. Any religion today that claims that you have to follow rules or regulations or traditions in order to be saved or to maintain your salvation is a perversion of the gospel of Christ. It is not the gospel. Verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. 
For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So the debate is about what? Are you going to follow man or follow God? Verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now that's before his conversion. And profited the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more excellently zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia. Syria is Antioch. So after he was initially in Jerusalem, he was sent up, he went to Cilicia, and then he was beckoned from Barnabas to go to Syria, which was Antioch of Syria, and was unknown by faith unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. And so Paul, he, was, he had been preaching but the only people he had seen in Jerusalem up to that point was Peter and James. James, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which, was one, which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Now chapter 2, we come into, I believe, Paul speaking of his time when he went down from Antioch to Jerusalem. Notice what he says. Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. So that fits the narrative of Acts chapter 15 when Paul and Barnabas went down to Jerusalem and the Bible says, and other men with them and probably one of those men was Titus. Notice verse 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to them which were of reputation lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, it's interesting that uh, Paul did not make a scene. Why? Because, well, to, to be fair to the other, Paul says, I, I, I was not like that because I didn't really start well like them. I started with persecuting the church. And so, you know, it, didn't, it wouldn't have looked good if I just kind of started coming in the church and yelling and screaming and telling them they're all wrong. So I came to them privately. By the way, if there's any contention or matter that you need to resolve, do it privately, not publicly. Now, if it's not resolved privately, then you could take it to the church. But the point is, he did it privately. Verse 3. And, and, and for that, because he didn't want to ruin the occasion, the opportunity for, for the question to be answered. See, often, we may be right, but the manner in which we respond is wrong, and then we ruin the opportunity to present the case. So Paul didn't do that. Verse 3. But neither title... That's all free, like side pieces of wisdom, alright? So you take them, apply them. Verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Paul says, look, when we preach to Titus, we didn't compel him to be circumcised. There was no need for him, as a Greek, to be circumcised. Why? Because that's not how a person is saved. Verse 4. 
And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in, in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Now, understand, there is not two gospels. He's not saying here, well, there's a gospel of uncircumcision, and then there's a gospel of uncircumcision. No, he says, Peter preached to Jews, I preached to Gentiles. Peter preached the gospel to those who were circumcised, and I preached the gospel to those who were uncircumcised. That's all that is. Same gospel, but different group of recipients. Verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. So that's when they arrived in Jerusalem. They were received by the elders and brethren. We saw that in Acts 15. That we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. And so we concluded that, look, I said, just preach to the Jews. We'll go to the Gentiles and follow God's leading. Only they would that we should remember the poor and same, which I also was uh, forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So, evidently, Peter hadn't done something right. We read about that. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. So you remember, Peter, he's referring back to the time when God had led him to preach in the house of the Gentiles. He had ate with them, sat with them, and preached to them. And then he was criticized for that. And Peter, after that, seemed to retract and not preach to the Gentiles anymore. And so Paul confronted him and he says, What are you doing? But when they were calm, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So apparently, now this is what I think happened. It's almost like Paul, uh, Peter, after he knew God worked among the Gentiles, he kind of left the Gentiles to themselves. Because he didn't want to be criticized by the Jews. So verse 13, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, and so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their disputation, dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Well, he's got a point. You see, he said, Peter, you're not a Jew anymore. You're a Christian. So since you've become a Christian, in a sense, live after the Gentiles, why are you compelling those who are Gentiles to live like Jews? To be circumcised? To keep the law of Moses? Why are you doing that? Verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so here Paul says, wait a minute, isn't that plain? A man is not justified by the works of the law. Peter, you preached that on the day of Pentecost. I've been preaching that everywhere I've gone. And so we who are Gentiles, we have been justified. 
we have not been justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And so he repeats again, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. He mentions that twice. We're justified by faith, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law there shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build the things again which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. You see, when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the message was, you cannot be justified by keeping the law. So Christ, in the sense, destroyed the narrative of you have to keep the law in order to be saved. And so he says, if I build again the things which I destroyed through what? Through the preaching of Christ. I make myself a transgressor. It doesn't make any sense. You completely destroy and nullify the law in order for a man to be saved. And then you, yet after they get saved, you tell them that they have to keep the law. Verse 19, in order to be saved. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which on I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So here's what Paul says. Look, the law of Moses, and he will say later in this same epistle, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So when the law was given, it said this to us. See, you're guilty. You're guilty there. You're guilty here. You're guilty here. You're guilty here. And so here is what the law says. You're guilty. You cannot attain holiness by the observation of the law. You are incapable. And it shows how desperately wicked a sinner you are. And so that's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And so He died to pay for our sin. And so if we believe in Him, we can have imputed righteousness without works. And so if we are to say that righteousness comes by the law, then why is there a need for Christ? Well... That's the most contentious religious debate to this day. You see, all the religions of the world really teach the same thing. Whether you are a Muslim, whether you're a Mormon, whether you're a Jehovah's Witness, uh, whatever religion, even many people who fit under the umbrella of Christendom, whether they might be Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever they, they, they are, even a Roman Catholic, they, the, whatever the religion is, what, what do they teach? Ultimately, it might be different versions, but it's always the same. Now, you have to do this and this. Well, yeah, yeah, believe in Jesus Christ, but okay, you have to observe this and this. So be baptized, go to church, uh, be confirmed, uh, follow these rules and these rituals, and then maybe one day, hopefully, maybe you might get to heaven. And so except you do these things, you cannot be saved. That's what the religions of the world teach. All of them. But what does the Bible teach? Justification is without works. Now I'm a pastor, 
And so I teach and preach on living righteously, but I will never teach and preach that living righteously brings about salvation. Living righteously is the product of salvation. It is not the means of salvation. But that's the debate in history. You see, ask this plain question to people who might be religious. What must I do to be saved? Their answer will say it all. Now, if their answer is, well, do this, 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 and this, whatever. You see, we don't even have to discuss all the rules. There's so many of them because there's so many religions and so, diff- so many different versions of religion. And so a lot of times it's manifest in different ways. And sometimes it's, well, works. Sometimes it's, well, believe, but then you have to do works to maintain your salvation. Or you have to, you know, mingle, or the new version today is this, well, you have to cooperate with grace in order to be saved. No. You just have to cooperate with what Jesus Christ did on the cross and believe that when He died on the cross, He died for all your sins. And so you have to see yourselves as a sinner undone in your sin and that you cannot redeem yourself, that you need His perfect righteousness on your account and not your own. Why? Because all of us are entirely, entirely unworthy of eternal life. We are entirely unworthy of heaven and we will not go there based upon our own performance. We will go there based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, in the end, He gets all the glory and we get none. We see, Pastor, I I am a good person. As, um, As kindly as I can say, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, no, I've done more good than bad in my life. But that's just the problem. How do you get rid of the bad? Doing the good does not eradicate the bad. Only Jesus Christ and His shed blood eradicates the sin. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, nailing it to His cross, and He took it out of the way. We, didn't, we don't take our sin out of the way. He takes our sin out of the way. So back in Exodus, I mean Exodus, that's for tonight, Acts chapter 15, James then he gets up and verse 13, after they had held their peace, James answered saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. So James as the pastor, he is going to Give the final word. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles and to take out a, a, of them a people for his name. So it was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was not anything new. Peter told, said that. Paul said that. And to this agreed the words of the prophets as a result. For this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will again uh, build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all things, uh, all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Notice verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that, uh, that preach him being read in the synagogues 
every Sabbath day. So we think about those final words. Well, doesn't James then give them give them rules here? I, I thought. Well, he the, here's the difference. Write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, from things strangled and from idols. You see, this is the accusation of those who say salvation is by grace through faith. So you live as you please? Is that, is that what you do? So you're a Christian, so you can live as you please? No. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying we're not saved by works. We are saved by Jesus Christ. But, when we are saved, we are, uh, the Lord wants us to live in a way that pleases Him. And so we do, not because we want to be saved, but because we are. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So salvation is unto good works. It is not by works, but it is unto good works. You see, those who preach that you have to do certain things in order to be saved, are preaching a false gospel. You must be saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, arise unto righteousness now that you're saved. But our salvation is dependent on what Christ did and not what we have done. And so let's rejoice in that. Let's uh, see that Look, the gospel was debated in these early days and the debate is still raging today although it's already been settled. Jesus said it this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For He came not into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. Through Him, Christ. Christ. 